Imagine getting in a hot, stuffy car in the summer. You know how it cools off much faster when you roll down the windows first to get the hot air out? Well, that's exactly how an Easy Breathe basement ventilation system works. Removing all the musty, damp, stagnant air and replacing it with fresher, cleaner, drier air. Take charge of your air with Easy Breathe ventilation and get $250 off today. Ask about DIY kits. Visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com or call 866-822-7328. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from the home bunker. Folks, I come to you um, at a time when the state of Kentucky is underwater. The images coming out of Kentucky at the time of this recording are otherworldly, devastating. Uh, full entire homes swept away in the middle of the night because of their extreme flooding. Bridges wiped away. Hundreds of people have been airlifted. At the time of this recording, 16 people, including children, are dead. The governor has said that whole families may have perished uh, in this flash flooding and that there is more rain to come. You take in all of these climate crises because this is what this is, right? This is not just a product of happenstance. It is not just a regular, quote unquote, natural disaster. It is a product of climate change. It is a product of climate denial. I think about the state of Kentucky, which has had Mitch McConnell as its senator, you know, for at least the last 40 some odd years. They voted for him with 58.7% of the vote. A man who has blocked legislation along with his the entirety of the Republican Party that would actually do something with regard to climate change. That just outright denies it. They voted for Donald Trump in 2020, 62%, right? At 62%. And I think to myself, you know, when we are watching these images and we are feeling so bad for these people, which you should, I think about Jonathan Metzl's book, Dying of Whiteness, and I think about why these people continue to vote against their best interests. Like, you're not fucking winning, right? Remember when Donald Trump's big thing would say, oh, you sick of winning yet? Like, we're going to be winning so much, you're going to be sick of winning. Is this what winning looks like? It looks like people who deny reality. It looks like people who, in order to line their pockets with money from big coal and big oil, deny their constituents the aid that they need. 
Because at the end of the day, folks, whether or not you know, you believe in climate change much in the same way of whether or not you believe in COVID. It doesn't stop it from happening, right? It doesn't stop it from existing and it won't stop it from killing people. Because that's the conversation that we weren't having about climate change is the amount of deaths that it's going to cause. From the extreme heat episodes that we've seen in this country and around the world, hundreds of people have lost their lives this summer, right? Tens of thousands of acres of land have been burned up. Homes have been burned up, flooded, underwater. I mean, this is some, when you're looking at what is happening right now, and if you are a person of religion or faith, this is some biblical shit, right? Like I'm just out here waiting for the locusts, right? Between monkeypox and fucking COVID and these extreme climate events that keep happening between mass shooting, it's like, dear God. You just feel like every day you're getting up and you're like bracing for impact. I wrote a piece uh, that is up right now at Medium um, entitled Life on the Brink because I've been trying to wrap my mind around the feeling that I keep having. And I talk about this. I talk about it on Twitter. I talk about it on TikTok. And I talk about it here with all of you. You know, in 2020, they coined the term languishing right? This feeling of aimlessness, this sluggishness that we all had because we were locked inside. And even when, you know, the doors finally flung open to the outdoors, it didn't look the way that it did in 2019. It didn't feel the way that it did. And I think for many of us, we thought that we would get the vaccine and then we would be able to pick up where we left it off, where we left off. That hasn't happened, right? There is this, this layer, this this, this feeling of overwhelm, of consistent anxiety coupled with depression. The New York Times once again coined a term distract oppression, right? Because they're talking about the rise in the use and the prescriptions of antidepressants, anxiety medication, distraction medication, etc. Well, there is another term that we now know called ambient stress which is the stress that kind of runs in the background of our minds right now. So I wrote about that. Go ahead and check it out at Medium. Coming up next today, my conversation with our friend Glenn Kirshner, giving us the latest with the January 6th committee and the latest with who is testifying in front of that committee and where we think Steve Bannon will end up. Will it be 30 days? Will it be 60? Could it be up to two years? That and more is coming up next on Woke AF. Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ricci is one of the latest shows on the TYT network and also the fastest growing news show in America. On his show, Dr. Ricci plays no games regarding policy, delivering a heavy dose of fact-based truth and penetrating analysis on all the top news stories focusing on racism, criminal and social justice, politics, police brutality, Karens, and much more. Listeners can also expect interviews with fascinating guests, political leaders, commentators, and even fiery debates with conservatives on a wide range of policy topics in the bullpen. It is an indisputable fact that you will love this show. Listen to Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ricci on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. Hey. 
Hey, I'm David Plotz of Slice Political Gab Fest. As another election season accelerates, it can be tricky to sort through all the noise in the news. Each week on the Gab Fest, John Dickerson, Emily Bazelon, and I decipher the headlines, break down the races, and tell you what issues really matter. We do not always agree. We definitely do not always agree. But we always deliver thoughtful debate, and we always have a good time. So subscribe to Slate's Political Gap Fest. New episodes every Thursday. Friends, you know that whenever I have the opportunity to chat with the host of Justice Matters and MSNBC legal um, contributor, Glenn Kirshner, I am always thrilled. Glenn, um, the Department of Justice is doing what I'm referring to as a little bit of a two-step. They want to, They seem to want to have things both ways at this moment, which is we now know, or at least we believe that we know, that the Department of Justice moving at its glacial pace is, in fact, investigating people with regard to the insurrection. The architects um, are being brought before grand juries, right? There's a little distinction that is being made um, in the press and with the Department of Justice. We're investigating Donald Trump's actions, but we're not necessarily investigating Donald Trump. So, Glenn, help me make this make sense um, in understanding this this nuance, this two-step that is being done in both the press uh, and with the Department of Justice. Yeah. In order to really understand this, you kind of need to be immersed in the details of how the grand jury works. But the bottom line is Donald Trump's conduct, behavior, and crimes are being investigated by the grand jury. But here is why some people are pushing back and saying, you can't claim the grand jury is investigating Donald Trump. So when we go into the grand jury, for decades, I spent countless hours in the grand jury in Washington, D.C., investigating crime and indicting cases. We investigate a crime. So, for example, um, I believe on January 7th, the day after the attack on the Capitol, federal prosecutors walked into the grand jury and opened a grand jury investigation. And we call it a grand jury original. Why? Because nobody's been arrested. So it's an original investigation that we open in the grand jury to see what the heck just went on up at the Capitol. Here's what we call that. We will caption it or name it or title it. In re, possible violation of the federal code section for insurrection, 18 U.S.C. 2381. I may get the number wrong. That's what we call it in ray possible violation of a federal law. And then we begin investigating. We're not investigating a person. We're investigating the crime of insurrection. However, as you move forward in your investigation and you learn more about who was responsible for the insurrection, you begin to uh, focus on the conduct of the perpetrator or perpetrators. What we know now, Danielle, based on great mm -hmm. reporting by Carol Lenig and others at the Washington mm -hmm. Post, is mm -hmm. that she knows the questions that are being asked in the grand jury of witnesses like Greg Jacob and Mark Short, Vice President Pence's high aides, right? And, right. and people should also know that prosecutors are prohibited 
from breathing a word of what goes on in the grand jury publicly. We can't even confirm or deny that anybody has appeared before the grand jury. Investigators, agents, detectives are prohibited from breathing a word of it. The grand jurors are prohibited from breathing a word of it. It's a secret proceeding by law. You know who's not prohibited from talking about it? The witnesses. They're not prohibited under the rules or the law. We advise every witness, Danielle, mm-hmm. you know, we would ask you respect, respectfully not to talk about what goes on in the grand jury, but we cannot prohibit you. So you now know Carol Lennig is talking to witnesses like Greg Jacob, Mark Short, and others, because what did she report? And this was blockbuster. She said, the prosecutors in the grand jury are asking the following questions. What did Donald Trump say next? What did Donald Trump do next? What did Donald Trump then arrange with his lawyers? What did Donald Trump tell Vice President Pence to do? What did Donald Trump, what did Donald Trump, what are they doing? They're investigating Donald Mm -hmm. Trump for the crimes he committed. Now, can you say they've launched a criminal investigation of Donald Trump? Well, no, because that's not what we call grand jury investigations. We launch investigations of crime and we investigate those responsible. So as I'm sitting here, based on everything I've seen publicly reporting, yes, Donald Trump's crimes, his behavior, his conduct is being investigated by a federal grand jury. So let me ask you this, and this is a question that I actually watched Eamon Mohadeen ask our friend Joyce White Vance uh, this week, and I want to ask you the same question. He asked, you know, so we have now been through eight hearings with the January 6th committee. We know that they're not finished, right? They're they're pausing for, you know, for, for summer, as Congress does. They have done over a thousand interviews. They have tens of thousands of documents. Does the Department of Justice just get to be handed over that binder? Because we know that they are now uh, cooperating and collaborating, right? On two different tracks, because we know that there are two different tracks that are happening. But do does the Department of Justice then have to redo all of that work on their own? Or can they work off of what this the January 6th committee has already laid out? Great question. And it's really, it's kind of somewhere right in between those two ends of the spectrum. So first of all, I am completely confident that the J6 committee will give over wholesale everything they've developed Mm -hmm. in their investigation to the Department of Justice. But I also um, think Benny Thompson is entitled to flex his co-equal branch of government muscle and say, okay, DOJ, we know you want our work product. We've worked very hard to put it together and present it to the American people. So, and by the way, y'all could have been doing this from jump as well, but we will give it to you at a time and in a manner that doesn't interfere with our responsibility to present this in a compelling way to the American people. They're entitled to do that. And you know what? If the Department of Justice wanted to subpoena those transcripts, they could. They're trying to work through the accommodation process and make the request and play nicely with a co-equal branch of government. All of this stuff is probably even going over now as we speak to the extent the J6 committee thinks they can give over 
500 of the transcripts without interfering with the remaining public hearings that they are, are going to want to put on, it's all going to go over. So right to your question, the Department of Justice will do two things. One, they will hopefully at light speed review all thousand transcripts and prioritize, figure out, okay, what witnesses are most important to present to the grand jury based on what we now know they, they told the J6 committee. They will bring those witnesses in and here's what they're going to do. I promise you, because I've done this a thousand times. They will show them their transcript. They will say, mm -hmm. do you agree that everything you said before the J6 committee was accurate? Did you make any mistakes? Is there anything in your, in your J6 transcript you'd like to correct? And sometimes witnesses misspeak or they've learned some additional details in the interim and they want to add those. But the witnesses will generally say, yes, that my transcript of my testimony is accurate. They will then slap a grand jury exhibit sticker on it and they will hand it to the grand jury. Done. Now let's move oh. on to the next witness. But if there's information that the federal prosecutors feel they, they need to give the grand jury to supplement what the witness said at the, at the um, J6 committee hearing, they'll call that witness and they'll say, first of all, do you adopt this transcript as your testimony before this grand jury? Yes, I do. Now, we have 10, 20, 100 follow-up questions we'd like to ask you about what you told the J6 committee. So they'll supplement the testimony of that witness and they will quickly move through this witness after witness after witness. So the answer is yes, they will use that, that information mm -hmm. and give it to the grand jury, but they'll supplement it as necessary. So it will definitely compress the time they need to get all that information before the grand jury. Oh, this is exciting. Like this, this, I actually feel like we have movement. Why do you think, um, Glenn, that it was Pence's people who <laughs> went, I guess, first, or at least that we know of, um, sat before this grand jury? Why do you think it was his people as opposed to who we have seen thus far presented via the, the J6 committee? Because people like Mark Short, and Greg Jacob are loyal to Mike Pence. And they know Donald Trump set Mike Pence up to be harmed, indeed, to be hanged. And we know that Donald Trump expressly out of his own mouth said, I agree with my supporters. Maybe he should be hanged because he didn't have the courage to corruptly keep me in office. Man, if I worked for, Mar for, for Mike Pence, and I had any loyalty to him, you bet your ass I would beat feet before the committee and the federal grand jury and say, let me tell you what I know about how Donald Trump set my boss up to be hurt when all my boss was trying to do was follow the law and abide by the Constitution. Oh, man, you could never shut me up if you did that to my boss and I was loyal to my boss. And of course, I'm going to testify truthfully because I take the oath very seriously. But I, I absolutely believe that Mark Short and Greg Jacob laid Donald Trump out in the grand jury. And as Liz Cheney said, the dam is breaking. And that's why now, what do you see? You see, you know, some things you can't get rid of, right? They keep coming mm -hmm. back like crabgrass, mold, and Mick Mulvaney, right? <laughs> so all of a sudden, these Trump sycophants 
um, are mm -hmm. running to the grand jury or running to mm -hmm. the J6 committee. I want to tell my story too. I mean, Mnuchin, forgot that rodent, right? Uh, 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 Mike Pompeo all of a sudden wants to talk because they know the dam is breaking. And the longer they cover up the crimes of Donald Trump, the more at risk they are of being, being criminally liable for the cover-up, for accessory after the fact, for misprision of a felony. Those are crimes. When you cover up the federal crimes of another, you're committing a crime. These people have committed that crime of the cover-up in layman's terms. So all of a sudden, they're like beating feet to testify about what they know. The dam, I, I'm not going to say the dam is breaking. I think the dam has broken. And, and I'm, I want to ask you, Glenn, what is it that you think that has finally, what, what was the final sledgehammer into the dam, right? Because, you know, again, I am cautiously optimistic, finally, in the direction that things are actually moving. But what, you know, we know Liz Cheney said it, but what, from your vantage point, do you think was the sledgehammer or the many hits that finally has this breaking. Cassidy Hutchinson brought us inside the White House and inside the Oval Office. And once that barrier was broken, and she said, let me tell you about the misconduct of Mark Meadows. Let me tell you what Pat Cipollone did. Let me tell you what Tony Arenado, the Secret Service yep. Trump yep. lackey. Let me tell you what he did. And let me tell you what I heard Donald Trump say with his own mouth. Like, I don't care if my supporters are armed. They're not here to hurt me. Let them in, take down me. the metal detectors, oh and then the entire armed mob will march on the Capitol. All of a sudden, we're now inside the Oval Office, and all of those other weak, weak, weak men, air quotes intentional around the word men, are like, oh my God, Cassidy gave it up. We got to get in there and tell our side of the story, or we're going to look like crap. That is what I, that, that more than any other strike to the dam, I think it was a very brave young woman, Cassidy Hutchinson, who will turn out to be one of the pivotal heroes of this mm -hmm. sad saga. Going back to Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony, we learned from there that Donald Trump essentially allegedly assaulted a Secret Service agent, demanded to be taken to the Capitol building. The Secret Service, according to the press, said that didn't happen. January 6th committee asked for, requested the text messages from January 6th and January 7th. They've changed platforms. And coincidentally, all of those text messages on the most historic day in the country somehow turn up missing. What do you make of that? And now that these 24 members of the Secret Service have retained private counsel. Yeah, this is so disturbing, Danielle, because when I was a federal prosecutor, I worked cases with the Secret Service, with all of the federal law enforcement agencies in D.C. And when we would seize evidence pursuant to a search warrant that included cell phones and computers, um, and we needed to have forensic searches done on those cell phones, for example, especially if we thought the, the bad guy had deleted information and evidence off of that cell phone. You know, I didn't go down to the FBI lab at Quantico, even though they have great forensic services down there. We would go to the premier law enforcement agency, um, the United States Secret Service Forensic Sciences Division. And they were the ones 
who were best at retrieving deleted evidence <laughs> off of cell phones. It, 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 it sounds like you're making that up, right? Because this is now the agency that says, whoops, and right. they can't retrieve their own deleted text messages. That makes no sense to me. None. Now, we can't leap to the conclusion that it's a criminal conspiracy to delete important evidence about their communications with or about Donald Trump that day. However, I believe there's enough evidence to open a criminal probe. And here's the thing, you know, they've already lawyered up, right? And let me, I'm not mocking the Sixth Amendment right to counsel. Everybody is entitled to retain a lawyer. But there's kind of an incongruity there when you're a law enforcement agency and you have certain legal duties and responsibilities to the American people in the Constitution. And then when it looks like you did something wrong, you lawyer up. Well, that's because they're afraid of what's about to come. So here's what we do. Mm -hmm. We open a criminal probe. We have the FBI investigate what really happened. And if the Secret Service did nothing wrong, they should welcome that criminal probe because they will be exonerated. But a, a, a criminal investigation needs to be open to look into how it is they destroyed what is some of the most critically important evidence to what really happened on January 6th. You know what else I find troubling about this too is that the watchdog group who knew months and months ago that those text messages were no longer available, didn't tell the January 6th committee, didn't alert Congress to this fact, which, I mean, Glenn, it just, there are too many coincidences, right? There are too many things that keep coming up that lead me to believe that there is a conspiracy here, that Trumpism has become so entrenched in our agencies that we can no longer trust that the oath that people are taking are what is actually being upheld. And it seems to me that we are in an intense moment of cover your own ass, right? You have all of these Trump people now coming out, like you had said earlier, coming out of the woodwork saying, oh, I'll testify, I'll testify. Now that the quote unquote dam seems to be breaking. And I, you know, I, I guess, does, do you think, you know, you're a former federal prosecutor, does the Department of Justice take these coincidences you know, as they are, or is it like, we got to open up this investigation, this investigation, that investigation, because none of this makes sense. Yeah, we don't, we don't really believe in these kind of coincidences. What we do is we investigate. And if it turns out this was some sort of pre-planned phone migration, um, okay, we'll take that into account. But here's the thing, we've learned that this deletion of information, whether criminal or innocent, happened after they were asked to preserve and produce this information. Mm -hmm. So saying, trying to say, well, but it was an innocent phone migration doesn't really cut it because then you allowed that innocent phone migration to happen after you were asked to preserve and produce those text messages. So there really is no compelling innocent explanation based on what I've seen publicly reported, which is why we need to investigate. No, the Department of Justice doesn't take 
what seem to be transparently BS explanations at face value. And now, of course, we now we we've seen reporting that DHS officials like Chad Wolf, their text messages have gone missing too. And I am shocked, said absolutely nobody. <laughs> I mean, it's just because it's just so absurd. Okay, so now um, we, we mentioned this at the top. Uh, I want to get to Mick Mulvaney and then end with Steve Bannon. Um, Mick Mulvaney has now made himself available to the January 6th committee. Uh, it was asked by an NBC reporter, did you just walk in the door or were you subpoenaed? He, of course, was subpoenaed. He was not walking in of his own reconnaissance into uh, into that hearing. Why do you think that he's there now? And what do you think that he can offer that is different or maybe than what it is that we already know? Is he there just to bolster Cassidy Hutchinson's um, testimony? What, what do you think that his purpose is? So don't forget, he was acting chief of staff to Donald Trump uh, until Mark Meadows was made chief of staff. I don't know if that's a trade up or a trade down, you know, only the best people for sure. For and then sure. they gave him some envoy to Northern Ireland kind of thing to placate him. But I urge everybody to look at the statements Mick Mulvaney made publicly on January 7th because he laid out Donald Trump hard for his responsibility for the insurrection. I mean, really, in some of the most direct terms that any of the Trump lackeys ever, you know, offered publicly. So they're obviously going back to that, in my opinion and saying, let's talk about your basis for that. And let's talk about all of the evidence and information you have about why you made those statements that Donald Trump was responsible. Here's the other thing though, you know, let's not, let's not let Mick Mulvaney off the hook because mm -hmm. you know, your viewers should always keep in mind that he was the guy that facilitated um, the corrupt leveraging of Donald Trump using congressional funds to demand a dirty political favor from Ukrainian President Zelensky. I know you want to save the lives of your, your um, Ukrainian citizens with this money Congress has appropriated to you, but I need a favor, though. Mm -hmm. I need you to lie and announce that you're opening an investigation into the Bidens. Mick Mulvaney was the one who helped facilitate that dirty deal. And then mm -hmm. he went on TV and very publicly boasted that we do it all the time. Get over it. That's who Mick Mulvaney is. And if I were on the J6 investi investigative committee or I was one of the prosecutors in the federal grand jury questioning Mick Mulvaney, you can damn be sure I would be talking with him about the bribery and extortion scheme of President Zelensky for which Donald Trump has never been held accountable. So we will find out, I'm assuming in the fall, right, when season two of the January 6th committee returns uh, for the fall sweeps. Um, in the meantime, Steve Bannon had his day in court and was found guilty on both charges. What can we expect, Glenn, from this sentencing here? What, what, what do you believe it will look like. So I watched that. I was in court watching that trial from start to finish. So you don't have to. You're welcome. Um, Thank and you. It was, it, it was not, a, <laughs> not a lot of fun, but I, I want to say a couple of things about it. One, 
we heap a lot of criticism on the Department of Justice, but there were two remarkable federal prosecutors, Amanda Vaughn and Molly Gaston, who just tried that case expertly. And we need to give credit where credit is due because we the people were extremely well represented by those two women in that prosecution, really. And I got to talk to them. You know, they're, they're, it's being prosecuted out of my old office, right? Mm-hmm. So anytime I go back to court, I feel like it's, it's a reunion for me and I really enjoy it. Um, now, Steve Bannon, was con- it was a week-long trial. He was, the jury convicted him in less than three hours working in a lunch break. So that wasn't just a guilty verdict. That was a statement by the jury that Steve Bannon could not have been more guilty of those two criminal charges, contempt of Congress for refusing to provide documents and contempt of Congress for refusing to testify. So his sentencing is coming up in October. Um, These are misdemeanors. So all he's facing, listen, I don't want to do one day in prison, so I don't want to you know, diminish the impact of any any sentence of incarceration. But each one of these convictions carry with it a 30-day mandatory minimum by law. So the judge has no discretion to go below 30 days. And there's a question of whether these two 30-day periods of incarceration can run together or have to run separately. So he's facing a minimum of at least 30 to 60 days and a maximum of two years in prison. I predict the judge will give him somewhere between six months, nine months, maybe upwards of a year for his two contempt of Congress convictions, but it really is anybody's guess at this point. Should other people, right, who have snubbed their nose at Congress, right, Mark Meadows being one of them who actually was sent over to the Department of Justice. Department of Justice decided not to go after Mark Meadows for these charges. I don't know why. Um, But should other people now look to Steve Batten as a cautionary tale? Like, we're not above the law, and we don't get to just say executive privilege when we have none and not answer the call of Congress. Yeah, the answer is yes, because now we can say There are concrete consequences, including prison for up to two years if you defy a congressional subpoena. There are three reasons why Mark Meadows may not have been charged by the Department of Justice. Either he's cooperating or they um, are intending to indict him for the larger conspiracy to defraud the United States and all of the other crimes that fall under that umbrella, which is my hope for Mark Meadows, Um, or they just decided. We're never going to indict a chief of staff to the president of the United States for defying a congressional subpoena because institutionally that gives us too much heartburn. And if we do it once, then every chief of staff for all time moving forward will always be indicted for something if if politicians are willing to do things for nefarious purposes. And we know the Republicans are. So those are the three reasons, and it may be a combination of those three reasons. But that doesn't really explain why Dan Scavino wasn't indicted for his contempt of Congress. Now, Peter Navarro was indicted for his contempt of Congress. So someday when all of this becomes a matter of public record, which it all will in the future, maybe years in the future, then we'll get an answer to the question, why did DOJ indict some people for contempt of Congress and decline to to indict others who committed precisely the same crime? But to go right to your question, 
absolutely there are consequences. And I think that may be part of the reason all of a sudden everybody is sprinting right. into the J6 yep. committee to want to testify. Yeah, that 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 is not a coincidence. Glenn Kirshner, as always, we appreciate your breakdown of the latest and greatest. And I feel like we are getting to a place where justice may, in fact, actually matter, <laughs> as you as you say every day. Um, let's hope that we get there. Appreciate you. Thanks, Danielle. That is it for me today, dear friends. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Win the battle of your musty, damp basement with an easy breathe ventilation system. Take charge of your indoor air. It's easy with basement ventilation to remove musty odors, pollutants, allergens, and airborne particles by 85%. An easy breathe ventilation system creates air exchanges for cleaner, fresher, healthy indoor air. And right now, get $250 off your own easy breathe ventilation system. Call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com today. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless.